Welcome to The Big Rich Show. This podcast will focus on conversations with friends and acquaintances within the four-wheel drive industry. Many of the people that I will be interviewing, you may know the name, you may know some of the history, but let's get in depth with these people and find out what truly makes them a four-wheel drive enthusiast. So now's the time to sit back, grab a cold one, and enjoy our conversation. Whether you're crawling the Red Rocks of Moab or hauling your toys to the trail, Maxxis has the tires you can trust for performance and durability. Four wheels or two, Maxxis tires are the choice of champions because they know that whether for work or play, for fun or competition, Maxxis tires deliver. Choose Maxxis. Dread victoriously. Why should you read Four Low Magazine? Because Four Low Magazine is about your lifestyle, the four-wheel drive adventure lifestyle that we all enjoy. Rock crawling, trail riding, event coverage, vehicle builds, and do-it-yourself tech all in a beautifully presented package. You won't find Four Low on the newsstand rack, so subscribe today and have it delivered to you. On today's episode of Conversations with Big Rich, we have Lee Drew Riser. Lee has been around the off-road industry for quite a while. I first met her through Skyjacker, I believe it was, and we're going to get into all of that. But Lee, thank you so much for coming on board and uh, and talking with us. Uh, you're really, you know, you've, you've been in the marketing part of this, and that's what we really want to concentrate on is the marketing of off-road companies and and how you got involved with it. So thank you for coming out. Yeah, no, thank you so much for having me. I uh, really appreciate the time and yeah, excited to kind of share the the story. Um, this industry is definitely where I've uh, basically grown up. So Excellent. So let's go ahead and start with uh, where were you born and raised? So um, I was actually born in Westwood, Massachusetts, but I was raised in a little town, uh, Pahoa, Hawaii. Um, so I spent early elementary, high school, um, and even the first part of college in, in Hawaii, actually. Oh, wow. Okay. That's, uh, yeah, so that, not that, a bad place to grow up. <laughs> no, no. I, I, my wife and I visited Hawaii, the big island, and then Oahu. And what I found, though, was it's too small for me. Yes, island fever is a real thing. You can drive across the island in a few hours, um, so that's not great for antsy people. <laughs> no, and and I'm one of those antsy types, I guess. <laughs> no, I, I agree. I, ha- I definitely had island fever. It's hard when uh, you're definitely confined to just what you can get to uh, in a few hours in a car. <laughs> right. So when you you were born in Massachusetts, but you moved to Hawaii, at what time frame did that happen? in your life? Uh, early elementary school. Early so, um, yeah. So basically, I mean, I grew up there, um, you know, graduated from high school and like I said, started college actually at university of Hawaii, um, at Manoa, which is located in Oahu. So next. Excellent. Excellent. And which Island did you grow up on? I grew up on the big Island. The big so island. Okay. yeah. And then just spent a little time, um, on Oahu for college. Excellent. And what town on the big Island did you grow up in? Uh, Pahoa. Pahoa. So, um, yeah, actually, if you saw the lava that kind of went through a few years back, um, it went through that area pretty, they got hit pretty hard. So, yeah, we drove, we actually drove some of the roads back into that area and got within, oh, they had the road 
the road, the major road blocked, but some of the side roads, you could get within probably 40, 50 feet of the, uh, the lava. And it's amazing how that stuff moves across the ground. And just, I mean, the paved road, I would have thought that it was melted up to it. But it was perfect. You know, it was just like a like a big coating of of concrete was laid down, black concrete. It, yep. No, it's 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 incredible to see too. Gosh, it it comes through. Um, you know, it's a lot of destru- destruction, but um, yeah, it it stops in certain paths, and you're like, okay, this is completely untouched. I mean, it'll make a V sometimes around houses, um, and like you said, you can see the road. Nothing's nothing's damaged up until the point of then the lava covers it. So yeah. it's, it's kind of crazy. It is. It is really crazy. What was life like? What what kind of things did you do on the big island of Hawaii for entertainment as you were a kid growing up? Did you surf or anything like that? I did more of a boogie boarding. Um, but okay. yeah, I was just a mile or two from the beach. Um, so Kohiki area actually there. Um, so yeah. I was, I was quite the beach bum, um, <laughs> but didn't get into surfing much. Um, a lot of the guys did surf, but yeah, I spent a lot of time at the beach um, and I was super involved in high school and a lot of different things. Um, I was a little bit of an overachiever. Um, I was in DECA, which is a marketing club. I was in uh, FBLA, Future Business Leaders of America. I did Close Up Washington, um, <laughs> Student Body Government, Yearbook. <laughs> Yep. So I stayed stayed pretty busy with that. Yeah, I used yearbook to get through all my English requirements in high school. <laughs> there you go. That's the way to do it. <laughs> well, if you see my writing or hear me talk, you can you can gather all that pretty easily. I was the I was a yearbook photographer, so <laughs> I don't know how that translates into English, but <laughs> right. <laughs> So yeah, then no, that's the fun did, stuff. did you do any sports while you were in school? I did. So I was a cheerleader and I also ran track. So, oh, nice. yeah, I really enjoyed that. Yeah, I know. Actually, I was digging through some of my boxes of stuff that made it from Hawaii. And I had my uh, little letterman um, from, from running track. So, oh, excellent. And what, nice. what event did you participate in? I did sprints, so I did like the 50 and the 100. Um, I remember my coach putting me in for like the 400 one time, and I was like, nope, that's not the event for me. (laughs) (laughs) I like the quick and easy and get it done. Yeah, I get that. I'm not a runner, but that's obvious. (laughs) So when you, uh, through high school, you said you were taking, um, you were in a marketing club. DECA, you said? Yeah, Distributive Education Clubs of America. So it focuses on a lot of um, kind of different uh, marketing um, training, and it really helps prepare you if you think you want a career in the marketing field. So, Well, and that's where you ended up, so very good. Yeah, yeah. I also did mock trial, and I was toying with uh, law school for a long time. Um, but I said, oh, I didn't want that much schooling. Um, but then I actually went on to get my MBA, <laughs> so it ended up being the same. <laughs> but no, I, I love marketing. Um, marketing is definitely my thing. I definitely identified that, I think, early on um, and, and stuck with it. So, you know, went to college and majored in that, um, got my undergrad, um, my BBA in marketing, and then, like I said, went on and got my MBA as well. Okay. You mentioned that you went to University of Hawaii. But it sounded like you didn't go there for your whole time. 
Correct. Yeah, no, then I transferred um, to University of Louisiana at Monroe, and that's what brought me to Louisiana. And How, um... <laughs> how did that transition happen from Hawaii to Louisiana? I could see going from Louisiana to Hawaii. But... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I know. I, um, I actually transferred from a dorm overlooking Diamond Head and Waikiki. Um, to a dorm in Louisiana overlooking uh, the bayou, which is just a nice word for swamp. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, no, it was definitely culture shock. Um, but, you know, I, I had a connection here in Louisiana, so transferred for that and thought, you know, why not? I had actually moved here sight unseen, so had not been to Louisiana before moving here. Interesting. Interesting. So did you have any jobs while you were in high school or college? So actually, yeah, I did. Um, I tutored in, in high school and a little bit in college. So I was a reading tutor. I am a big English English fan, so <laughs> um, that worked out well. And then in college, um, actually had a couple part-time jobs. I was a student worker at the university and actually edited a lot of textbooks for our marketing professors. Um, so there's a few textbooks out there um, that are, I think, still being used today that I, I think... Uh, <laughs> I touched and used, um, you know, so that's kind of, that was neat. Um, and then I also did some sales stuff. I worked at the buckle, um, and then I graduated, I feel like to diamonds. Um, <laughs> so got my diamond certification and then was, um, selling retail at, uh, Zales while I was in college. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So that was a lot of fun. So you pick out your own jewelry. Yes, exactly. I, I, <laughs> I'm too educated on the diamond side now. I'm like, honey, that's not the good stuff. <laughs> but, he, but he has good taste. So <laughs> I, uh, I, I tell Shelly, you know, we don't we don't buy each other gifts. We just we just discuss things and then buy what we what we want or need, and we each pick out those kind of things so that neither one of us ever feels, probably more so her, that uh, she was let down. You know, and so it, it kind of creates a, an area where we don't have any conflict. So, no, that's good. So, I always tell her, you know, if you want diamonds, you know, go ahead, pick them out, you know, when you know you want them. And uh, she's done her rings, but she hasn't been real, real diamondy lately. I don't know really? what it is. I think she's preparing for her retirement someday or something. Well, there you go. <laughs> Hey, they're investments, I always say. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so then you, you end up in Louisiana, and you're finishing your college there. Did you did you do anything else besides, uh, I mean, did you, was it just the two schools? Yes, just, just those. Um, so, yeah, no, I finished up college um, and then got into marketing uh, directly out of college. And actually, funny story, I was working for the staffing industry. And so I was working actually at a staffing agency um, directly for the marketing director. And we got actually a call about a position at uh, Skyjacker. So, and it was funny, you know, we're not typically the ones obviously applying for it. But when I heard about the position, um, I was like, you know, I'd absolutely love to do something like that. And it sounds like a really fun, you know, um, industry and something very different than what I've done in the past. And so... Yeah, I actually applied and, and got the job and was there about six months under the uh, current marketing director. And she basically said, well, I hired you as my replacement, so uh, I'm handing it over. <laughs> Good wow. luck. <laughs> That's awesome in six months, huh? 
Yeah, yeah. So it was, it was pretty quick. Um, so uh, moved into a kind of marketing coordinator role um, as I kind of transitioned to, you know, get ready for that marketing director role. So, um, which I did, gr- which I did grow into, um, you know, and was very thankful for. Um, got some great exposure. Um, and I, I think, yeah, that's where you and I first met, um, kind of on the rock crawling circuit. So yes. uh, we were he- heavily involved in motorsports and sponsorship. Um, and gosh, it was such a fun time. You know, there was short course off-road racing. There was, you know, We Rocks, um, ARCA, <laughs> um, Way all of those, back old those big events. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all those big events. Um, so a lot of fun stuff going on and, you know, got to travel, um, you know, and really kind of push, um, I think, the marketing to, you know, kind of the national level. Obviously, we were already selling nationally, um, but there was a lot of things that kind of put us on the map, um, you know, as I was there, kind of helping grow that marketing department. So it was an exciting time, um, you know, in the industry. So you're you're working for a staff aid, staffing agency. You're Diamond certified. All your background basically is in marketing. Did you do any off-roading in Hawaii before you moved to the mainland? Oh, yeah. Um, you know, Jeeps are obviously big on the on the big island, um, you know, and just off-roading in general. There's a lot of fun spots there. Um, so I did a little bit of that in my, my teen years for sure. Um, actually, I remember spending some time in California, too, um, over the summer and uh, went mudding, you know. <laughs> so that was um, a lot of fun. And, and gosh, in high school, the guys were, you know, fixing up their old, you know, square body Chevys and um, that's what we took out mudding and it was a lot of fun. So, yeah, no, I definitely had exposure to, you know, that side of it on the recreation, um, but, you know, hadn't done it professionally until until right out of college. So was that something that sparked your interest in the Skyjacker job when it when it appeared in your uh, yeah, no, definitely a, li- a little bit. Um, but also what appealed to me is just the, the national exposure. You know, I was working in a small town in Louisiana, um, but to see, you know, a company that had national presence, um, you know, was was also very appealing. Um, you know, having traveled and, you know, seen different parts of, of the world, I, I you know, was kind of like, hey, I want more than just what, you know, we have access to here in, in Louisiana. Um, so, you know, the appeal of kind of a national company was was nice. So let me backtrack a little bit. Going from the Northeast to Hawaii, I'm assuming that was a job change or something for your parents or one of them? Yeah. Yeah. My dad, we actually went there on vacation um, and my dad was in sales and we, we traveled a lot anyway. So he's like, if I'm going to, you know, be based out of somewhere, why not be paradise? Um, so we picked up and moved. Okay. <laughs> so. That makes sense. Cause if you're, if you're doing a lot of flying, it's, it's not a big deal. Yeah. And he didn't have to, you know, travel often. I mean, obviously it's not convenient to get to a lot of places from Hawaii, but you know, he went on longer trips and bigger trips and, you know, was able to do that from kind of, you know, anywhere. So, and he was, uh, he was always in sales and did a lot of different things. Um, so it worked out well that we could you know be located there and enjoy paradise. <laughs> paradise. Yes. Yeah. I enjoyed my two weeks there. I, like I said, I think I drove every every paved road within about a day and a half and, yeah. and then started to redrive all the roads like in the opposite direction. And then we hooked up with one of the local, well, with the local Big Island Jeep Club, and they took us out to a number of different places that they go. 
and really had a good time there though. Really good time. Good. Yeah, no, it's a nice, it's a nicer place to visit. I feel like, um, because you can get that taste and then, yeah, when you have Island fever, you're done. You can, you can uh, go visit elsewhere. <laughs> yeah. So then when you got to, to Louisiana and you're going, you're going to college, did, did you continue wheeling at that point? Did you have, what kind of vehicle did you drive? So no, at that point, um, that, I think that's the only stint probably in college when I didn't really have like a Jeep or off-road vehicle. Um, we had a pickup truck that was shipped over from Hawaii, um, but didn't do a whole lot in it. Um, so I, yeah, no, I was in a car at that time. And so didn't do a lot. Um, I was pretty busy with school. I took 18 hours of college and like I said, we had two part-time jobs, one as a student worker and then also retail. <laughs> so wow. I stayed pretty busy and I finished my undergrad um, in three and a half years. So got out a little bit early um, and then started working full time. And that's when I decided I wanted at, at Skyjacker. And that's when I decided I wanted to uh, go back and kind of broaden my, um, you know, degree um, and get more, you know, on the marketing side and also just, you know, management, business in general. Um, and so I started um, pursuing my MBA at night um, and after hours um, while I was working about 45 hours a week. So okay, that was also a pretty hectic time. <laughs> so well, there I wasn't much time for, yeah, recreation. <laughs> right. So, so you'd already had the job at, at Skyjacker when you went for your MBA? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So took me a little bit longer because, um, like I said, I, I only took a few classes each semester, um, you know, to finish that up while I was working full time. And how many years did you work for, for Skyjacker? Oh, goodness. Combined, I was there 13, a little over 13 years. So quite a while. So you, you'd started with Skyjacker and then you left there for a little bit, didn't you? Yes. Yes. I went to uh, Fab Fours. So, um, yep. Okay. Yeah. And then actually came back and worked for Superlift, also on the suspension side. Um, and then back to Skyjacker for a little while. Um, and then got an amazing opportunity um, with the company I'm at currently. So, Which is? Which is Truck Hero. Um, but I was, I started on the Legacy Lund side, we call it. Um, so I was on the Lund brand side um, when we merged with Truck Hero. Okay. And what, what all, what are all the brands that you, uh, that are under Truck Hero? So we've got um, almost 30 brands under the Truck Hero umbrella now. Wow. Um, so, yes, it, it's quite a lot of brands. Um, we have in, um, about 12 truck uh, truck bed cover brands. Um, so that's our truck bed cover division, um, which includes ARE, X-Tang, Truxedo, you know, a lot of the bigger names in tonneau covers that, right. and caps that you'd be familiar with. Um, and then we have our accessory division, which is a lot of the legacy lunge brands, um, you know, Bushwhacker. Um, we have uh, Amp Research, um, Infab, um, Husky Liners. Um, and then we have our Jeep and Off-Road division, which I'm over the marketing for the whole Jeep and Off-Road side now. And then two of our accessory brands. So I cover um, brands like Rugged Ridge, Rampage, Superlift. Um, and then, like I said, I retain two of our accessory brands, Bushwhacker and Infab, which, you know, pair very nicely with the uh, Jeep and Off-Road side. Right. Okay. 
are you guys continually, as a business model, is Truck Hero going to continue picking up companies as as they fit their their mold? Oh, yeah. I think that's, you know, that's been um, a plan for a while. Um, we're, we're always looking. Um, has to be the right opportunity. Has to be the right mix. Um, but, you know, that's certainly something, um, you know, that's, that's of consideration. Um, you know, we've got a lot of the categories covered. Um, we obviously try and go after the premium brands in the category. You know, Bushwhacker, the originator of the Fender Flare Amp Research, the originator of the Power uh, step running board. Um, so, you know, we like to align ourselves with those brands um, that are, you know, obviously making an impact in the categories that they are in. And you're still based in Louisiana. Yes. Yeah. So um, what's nice is our super lift facility is right here in West Monroe where I live. Um, and then I'm close to our kind of accessories corporate um, office, which is in Atlanta, which is just a 45 minute flight. Um, so I go up there and, um, then we also have our Omix kind of rugged Ridge facility, which houses a lot of the Jeep and off-road brands. Um, and then our Lawrenceville facility right there in Georgia as well, um, which is the manufacturing site for like our AVS and Bushwhacker brands. Um, so okay. it's kind of nice. We've got three of our large facilities right there. Very close. Excellent. So let's talk about those, those days at at Skyjacker and then Superlift. I know that there was like a trading of business cards, it seemed like, with a lot of employees where they'd be at Skyjacker, then over at Superlift, then back to Skyjacker or vice versa. Was Yes. <laughs> there, there, it seemed like you guys were like competitors, but not, but you guys kept, was it, you know, one company trying to steal the other ones, you know, or was it, or was it just, you know, you know, around the barbecue with uh with the other <laughs> the other company all the time i it it always amazed yeah. me yeah it, it did um no and it definitely happened um and that's what happens when you have two you know fairly large um aftermarket companies in the same little town um there's not a lot of other opportunities and so employees um you know would would transition back and forth um you know because obviously you have the expertise in that area and you get, you know, familiar and comfortable with the suspension category. Um, so yeah, no, definitely competitors, but it's a small town. Everybody gets along. Um, you know, and there was, you know, there was, there was some time where, you know, it, it's friendly competition, um, but still obviously competition. So. Right. So let's, uh, one of the things that I want to hit on is kind of like the, uh, what's a typical work day, but before we get into that, Let's talk about how somebody wanting to get into the off-road market, say, with one of your companies or, you know, into a position like yours, what's the best process for doing that, say, in marketing? Yeah, sure. Um, and I do think, you know, it applies for, for other areas, but, you know, especially for marketing, yeah, make sure, you know, the area of interest you want to go in, obviously, that your education, um, you know, prepares you for that. So I knew I wanted to do marketing. I didn't necessarily know what industry um, the opportunity obviously presented itself for the aftermarket. And I said, yeah, that's, you know, what I want to do. But I think for somebody getting into it, you know, get exposure to definitely the enthusiast side of what, you know, either the brand or industry you want to get in, because obviously that's going to be the customers that you're marketing to. So, you know, if you have an understanding of kind of 
what the consumer base is, um, you will be more successful in the products that you market. Um, so I do think you've got to have a passion, um, you know, for and an understanding for um, not only the consumers, but the products. Um, and, you know, I do think it helped, you know, I had some exposure to it. And then, you know, once I got into it, I was like, gosh, these people love what they do. And then I got to go out and experience it. You know, I rode and some different buggies, um, you know, some of the rock crawlers. I remember Jeff Mello. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was uh, I was at Badlands uh, Off-Road Park in Little Attica, Indiana, and it was the Real Truck uh, Club Challenge, which Motor Trend, um, or at the time, you know, four-wheeler Peterson's put on. Um, and I remember um, it was a guy, uh, Blake, in a Suzuki Samurai, and he invited me to ride along on one of the uh, rock crawling climbs. And I did, and it was awesome. But, you know, you get to experience it and see it through their eyes. So I think anybody who's wanting to get into, you know, whether it's the aftermarket or off-road, like have an understanding um, and appreciation for, you know, what those consumers do with their vehicles, you know, because you'll just be more successful in marketing to them. Right. Nowadays, the marketing seems to really push toward digital over other forms of marketing. Is that really trackable? Oh, yeah. The, the nice thing about digital, um, the transition to digital is, in, you know, the digital, you can track your spend. You can see ROI, you know, almost instantly on so many of these platforms, um, you know, Facebook, social ads, um, you know, obviously Google, pay-per-click stuff. Um, you know, the metrics are there to very easily, um, you know, say I'm spending X on my marketing dollars. You know, what's my return? Obviously, in the earlier days, um, you know, it was a lot harder to to track. You know, you had print, you had all these other mediums to, you know, to go by. And, you know, marketing was a little bit of, you know, you had to go with your gut um, and which opportunities would get you the most exposure. Um, and, you know, sometimes you couldn't track it, um, but you could definitively say, hey, there was a halo effect or, you know, we received, you know, more exposure because of this. Um, but, you know, I think with the transition to digital, yeah, we're seeing, um, you know, marketers like to be able to point to those metrics, point to the data and say, you know, we know dollars spent are, you know, obviously generating this type of return. Um, but it's still hard. You know, there's other mediums that are out there and television. You know, we still do, um, you know, some great programs um, like with Truck View, Four Wheeler. Um, we sponsored Ultimate Adventure. You know, some of those um, don't have the exact metrics that you can point to with digital. Um, but there's, you know, obviously some other great metrics that you can and you can point to the exposure that you get. Obviously, the impressions. Um, um, and it's, you know, it's obviously it's been interesting to see kind of as the field of marketing evolves and, you know, what other opportunities we have out there. But digital plays such a huge role in, in all of our marketing initiatives now. Right. That's one of the things being an event promoter that's been been difficult forever is to figure out how to show that return on investment for companies that are partners, marketing partners. And what I what I always boil it down to is the off-road industry is is really hands-on. I think that the the majority of the people that have the spending power have the 
the resources to be able to to make big purchases or to keep pumping money into their their sport or their their lifestyle are those that are a little older than say the youngest and maybe not as influenced by digital maybe they look things up sure but do you do you find that to be the case you know is it or or is it the the you know 35 and under that are the that are the spenders I mean, it really varies by brand. Um, you know, we have so many different products um, under our different brand umbrellas. Uh, it really, it does vary by brand. Um, so, you know, hey, the electric power running board from Amp Research, you know, it is an older crowd, um, you know, more affluent crowd. Um, so, you know, that crowd is definitely different. You reach them, um, I think, in a different way. And we do. We, we obviously use other forms of marketing and different channels to still reach, you know, consumers because they vary so much. And, and obviously their digital activity you know, but there's that whole crowd, um, even the older generation is, you know, they're active on Facebook and social because they've got children or grandchildren that they want to keep in touch with. Um, so, you know, obviously, so digital can, and social is still, you know, a good place to reach them. Because you can pinpoint them by, you know, using certain demographic tools, you know, not just age, absolutely. But yeah, no, the targeting. Yes. The targeting, um, when it comes to interests, obviously it's, it's great. Um, when it comes to a lot of the social advertising that you can do, you can really, um, hone in. Um, now it comes from, you need to know your consumer. Um, you need to know what their interests are. You need to know what they're doing. So it does go back to, um, like what you were saying with, you know, them being engaged in motorsports and different things. Well, for the Jeep uh, side of things and the Jeep and off-road categories, those are absolutely interests, you know, that are targeted because we know that's what they're doing with their vehicles, you know. Right. And I always say Jeepers will find a way to, you know, beg, borrow, or steal <laughs> to support that habit. <laughs> and it holds true. Um, you know, Jeepers, no matter what um, sort of is going on, usually in the economy or in the world, um, you know, they're going to find a way to you know, because that's a source of obviously not only happiness for them, but, you know, how they go out and enjoy life. You know, they're out there using their vehicle on the trails. Right. Okay. So let's run through influencers. I know that's a big hot topic nowadays on whether or not like Instagrammers, Instafamers, whatever you want to call them, that, you know, have 100,000 or 900,000 followers, are they, at one time, they were really considered, you know, oh, that's the people we got to support. But do you find that that's, that that's a, a good way to spend money or not? Honestly, it also varies by brand. Um, I do okay. think certain brands and products um, definitely have more success and more luck with influencers. There's just, there's no doubt. Um you know, it does work well, I think, in, in some tight, you know, niche off-road groups. Um, you know, they they want to see what the hardcore guys are using. Um, and if they're using your products, um, you know, there's, there's some credibility to be gained by that. Um, but it has to be authentic. It can't just be, obviously, you know, a paid influencer program. Um, so I think that's what's important with, obviously, the brand's is to align yourself with influencers 
that are genuine. They actually use the product for what it's intended. They have used products similar to that before even, you know, maybe using your brand. Um, so that when they use it and they're showcasing all the benefits of it, you know, they believe that, you know, it's not just a paid um, influencer program. So uh, a lot of the influencer sort of relationships that we have have grown out of that. You know, they've loved using Bushwhacker products over the years. So we've obviously, you know, then grown that relationship with them. But I do think the most important thing is it, it, it has to be genuine. You know, it has to be um, a product that. You know, if you find somebody in a completely different field and you're like, yes, I want you to be an influencer, start using and promoting my products. Well, their fan base isn't your fan base, you know, and it doesn't make sense always. So you just have to be careful. I feel like um, obviously with that influencer piece, just to make sure it obviously makes sense for the brand and the product. Yeah, I made a I made a comment on a on a post that people were talking about influencers. And my comment was, are you really an influencer if you have to tell people you're an influencer? <laughs> that's a good one. You know, and that's, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know how relevant that is, but it, it's, it's stuck. It just popped. And I went, you know, man, if you're going around telling everybody, yes, I'm an influencer, you know, it just didn't. Are you really one? Yeah. No, you're right. It it has to be. Um, and when I think of an influencer, I think of somebody that is making an impact and you know credible in that either category or that industry. Um, you know, so yeah, those are the influencers that make sense. Um, you know, yeah. to to your point, if you have to tout, I am an influencer. Um, what influence do you really have? <laughs> so, like with Duck Fantasy. Was that the name of the, the show? I never, I don't oh, watch Duck TV. Dynasty. Duck Dynasty. Duck Dynasty. Duck yeah. Dynasty. Were you involved with that, with that show? And Yes, okay. heavily involved. Because <laughs> they're, they're based right there, real close to Monroe, aren't they? Yeah, they're in West Monroe. So oh, okay. this is their hometown. Yeah, no, I lived one street over from Willie Robertson and several of the guys uh, for many, many years. So, um, no, that was a, a very great, uh, partnership that I think obviously made sense. Um, you know, they became very big influencers, um, not only in that space, but I mean, it was a pop culture kind of phenom for a little while there. Um, you know, they they uh, got tremendous success, um, and it was nice to be outfitting their vehicles, um, helping with those builds, um, and you know, the products obviously made sense for their lifestyle and what they were using it for. Then it was showcased on obviously shows and episodes. Um, so that is a perfect example of one, you know, that really makes sense. Um, you know, and when brands can find those types of things in the line and it hits, um, you know, it can be really big. Right. And uh, Willie came out to SEMA and, you know, it was just a huge hit with that crowd um, just because of the popularity of the show um, and the fact that he was obviously using his product for, you know, to go out there and hunt and enjoy duck hunting and um you know they spun off and they also have buck mander which focuses on the deer side of things so right. yeah I, I, sema is one of those places that it just absolutely amazes me i'll you'd be walking down you know heading over to a meeting or something and then you come across obviously an entourage and somebody in the middle of that entourage and i'll look over and i'm like okay who is it and I have no clue. 
but it's because there's so many different aftermarket industries um, or leaves or branches on the aftermarket tree, you might say, that you never know who it is, you know, unless you're part of that that world. You know, whether it's a drag racer or an indie car driver or somebody that has a, a body shop show or a tow company or whatever, you know, you just, if you've never watched the show, you're always wondering, oh, you know, who is that? Right. <laughs> you know? And then in Vegas, yeah, of no. course, everybody wants the MMA guys. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. No, it is always funny <laughs> to see kind of the variety out there. <laughs> this year, SEMA was very interesting because of, you know, coming back after a year of not being there because of COVID and then opening up the new West Hall where like all of the truck accessories and four by four were pretty much over, you know, in that hall. And then companies that had, you know, more diversity, like say Curry, okay, where they're building for hot rods as well as for off-road, you know, that people were, you know, they'd have two booths or they'd concentrate on the booth area where they were the most known. But it was really interesting seeing the way people used their booth space this year. Did did you guys go out to, were you out at SEMA? Oh, yeah. We had a, a very large booth in the new West Hall right. um, okay. to, to display all the brands. Um, but yes, we had, uh, we had, you know, a great experience in the new hall. Um, and we did, you know, we tried to focus on, we had the Jeep off road, you know, we had trucks, we had kind of a varied, um, offering in the booth. Did you find that you had better contact with true possible distributors or, or distributors than you, than you would have in years past? Less looky-loose, yeah. maybe? Yeah, no, I think the, the quality was good this year. You know, we had, obviously, the people want, who wanted to be there were there. Um, people were excited to be back and in person at the show. So there were a lot of quality connections and quality, you know, conversations that happened on the show floor. And that, that's that's been my experience talking with different company representatives like yourself, is that, you know, even though they were down probably... You know, they, I guess there was only like 11 or 1200 vendors instead of like 4,400 or something that, and then the numbers of the, of the, the spectators or the enthusiasts of whatever were there, um, the numbers were a lot lower, but everybody that I talked to said that they had really quality discourse with those that were there. They didn't feel like yeah, they were burning a lot of extra time. Yeah, no, agree. Um, and honestly, the, the SEMA cruise and the SEMA ignited was the biggest I've seen in years. Um, so that was also nice to see, um, you know, that kind of that crowd gathered and stayed, um, you know, and were excited to see the vehicles as they came out. Um, and then obviously like the drifting and some of the ex exhibition stuff that was happening at SEMA ignited after the fact was, you know, it was nice to see an engaged crowd there. Right. The, the, the guy's drifting. Um, I, I'm going to blame Lauren Healy on this. He was out there drifting his, his Ultra 4 car, and the smoke was heavy enough to shut down the monorail station. Oh, my gosh. I did not realize that. <laughs> yeah, it set off the fire alarms, and oh, it wow. shut down the whole system. And we were 
we were standing in line at the top because we thought, okay, we'll get out of here a little early so that we can, you know, we're not going to be in the crowds. Of course, there weren't that big of crowds. And right. the smoke had already filled up and they'd already shut it down by the time we got to the top. And it was like, oh, oh wow. my Lord. So we waited about an extra half an hour, 40 minutes or so. For that. <laughs> yeah, but we talked to a lot of people and exchanged cards while we were in line. So it worked out really well. But I'm going to blame Lauren Healy for that. Whether it was his okay. car or not, somebody <laughs> said it was. So that's that was good enough for me. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so then let's talk about a typical work day or a work week for Lee. So a work day, um, right now, it's still a lot of conference calls. Um, you know, I think um, this past year has really taught people um, that working remote there, you know, there's, there's obviously a lot of ways to do it. Um, so I do work remote, but I travel, I still go to, you know, the different facilities. Um, but for the most part, if I'm, you know, working from home, um, each day consists of a number of, of teleconferences. And then obviously a ton of emails <laughs> um, and then reviewing content. Um, I work with, um, you know, the designers, um, you know, the different web teams. Um, and so as the brand director, um, you know, we've got to have our eyes on all those different pieces of content. So when we've got new promotional banners that are needed, you know, I've got to review those. Are those ready for web um, social ads? You know, are those good? Um, you know, does the content match, you know, what we're trying to obviously portray to the consumer? Um, you know, is it targeted for if we're um, targeting specific, you know, categories or demos, does the content, you know, and imagery speak to that? Um, so, and I've got to put on different brand hats, you know, in a day. Um, so it's, it's a lot of that. Um, it's obviously coordinating with the sales team for the big promotions that we do on the marketing side, you know, whether it's our D2C sites or our B2B support. Um, you know, we still have a very large channel on the WD side. Um, so wholesale is a big focus for us. So reviewing catalog pages, um, content for that. Um, we do obviously a lot of marketing through that channel as well. So, yeah, I think a typical day is emails, conference calls, and a lot of content reviewing. Um, you know, in marketing, you've got to be up to date with, you know, graphics and design and kind of what's, <laughs> what's new and what's out there um, because you want your brand to obviously stand out in the best way possible, which all comes down to the content that you're pushing out and creating. You know, we all know content is king. So, right. But yeah, I think a typical typical day also includes, you know, reviewing stuff for social. Um, you know, we have tons of Facebook, Instagram pages for all of our different brands. And we review, you know, user-generated content because we like to share content that, you know, is, is generated from the people using our products. So that user-generated content gets reviewed. Um, and, you know, we work with the marketing team and we have marketing specialists that help fill that content out and it's just reviewing it and making sure it gets out in all the appropriate channels. So do you guys chase hashtags then? Are there certain hashtags that you look for? Oh yeah, no, definitely for, for our brand, we have our branded hashtags, which obviously do generate um, good user content. Um, but you know, we, we seek out um, content just by actually looking at, you know, what we're tagged in. Um, so not only hashtags, um, but, you know, just kind of being using that social tool to listen to, you know, what consumers are doing. 
sometimes you see crazy builds and you're like, oh, wow, that's what they're using flares for now. That's a different look or take on it. Um, you know, and you can see the trends too, um, paying attention to that user generated content um, and, and how your product's actually being used, you know, is important, um, not only for kind of marketing, but also for, you know, future product ideas and, you know, how you launch and bring stuff to market. So, Are your brands, when there's a new vehicle, do you guys try to be first to market? Yes, that's actually a very big important thing for us. Um, you know, we've, as soon as a vehicle comes out and we can get data on it, we're, you know, starting to produce product for it. Interesting. I, I know that watching the the lift business, so lift and bumpers, it always appears that everybody's trying to get that that first vehicle off the assembly line or to find one so that they can take it apart and then re reverse engineer the brackets and ev the bracketry and geometry and all that kind of stuff. And I would imagine that the same happens for your product lines. Or can you guys go more off of off of schematics provided by the manufacturers? And do manufacturers even do that? Yeah, no. Um, a lot of it is is from CAD data, um, and we do participate in like the tech tech transfer program with SEMA, um, and then also any programs that the OEs offer to get access to that um, ahead of time. Because if you wait. Um, you know, you're already behind the ball um, because a lot of the products obviously, you know, just take time to develop. But those line extensions are so critical for us that we've got to stay out in front of them. So, yeah, we're using kind of as much as we can on the tech transfer side to develop stuff from data. Okay. This is good information for those listeners that are own fab shops or businesses that are producing product that if you're if you're not part of SEMA, you should be so that you can participate in that that technology sharing with like the CAD and the, the measurements and everything they get from the manufacturers. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. So SEMA Garage. Um, so there's one in California. Now they just opened a location in Detroit. They also offer measuring sessions for SEMA members. So as soon as they get access to vehicles, and sometimes they get access to them ahead of time from those manufacturers, they actually bring it in and they will let you digitize and scan um, and get up close and personal with all these new vehicles. Um, they just had, I think it was the new Tundra um, recently um, that they announced a measuring session on. So yeah, if you were missing something um, that you you know, didn't get in CAD or, you know, wanted to get um, up close and personal with those vehicles. They have equipment to actually digitize and scan, and they have ways to, to obviously let you do that at the measuring session. Excellent. On the marketing side, what do you think is going to be the, the hot new platform or whatever? I know that a lot of people jumped onto the TikTok, and I don't, I don't understand TikTok, I don't know if it's if that's a spot for off-road manufacturers or not aftermarket manufacturers where's where's the hot spot besides Facebook yeah I know honestly everyone's like what's the next thing right you know snapchat um, also was you know kind of the up-and-coming platform for so long um, yeah and then it was like TikTok emerged um, and we do have a TikTok page um, I definitely think 
it's a little difficult for, you know, off-road and just the aftermarket in general to embrace kind of newer technologies. I think we let other industries kind of <laughs> test it out and have the success and failures. And then we're like, yep, that's where we want to be. Um, but I do think it has to make sense for your brand. Um, so I do think it varies, of course, by brand. TikTok may be great for for some brands and some products, um, but the audience is is a, a lot younger. Um, so you know, obviously, that matters. Um, and it is; it's a very different world <laughs> on the TikTok side, um, and it, it's kind of hard to gauge what content um, really hits that area. Um, we've had some fun videos, you know, that we've posted, um, but I think you know, if you're really looking to test and see if it's, if it's something for you, um, you know, TikTok influencers is more, you know, we found, we identified some that they had a decent following, they were posting content that was relevant. Um, so, you know, you reach out to them, and you kind of see how that goes, um, you know, versus, you know, your content from your branded page. Um, I, it was a truck uh, TikTok page, he had like over 100,000 uh, followers. And so, I kind of paired up with him for some content that we did. And of course his stuff hit way better than ours, um, you know, cause he had that kind of engaged fan base already. So right. TikTok is interesting. Yeah. I definitely think a little too early to tell if right now it's a big thing for this, this industry. Um, it doesn't seem right now that it is, um, but we're there. We play with it as well. Um, but I think the fun thing that we've seen, um, we do some, we do some fun gifts for our brands and different things. And that page um, has generated a, a ton of views. And so people, you know, they can use that on their Insta stories in different places. And that's done very well. So it, again, it kind of varies by brand, but you have to be able to kind of react. Um, you know, and if all of a sudden we start getting great engagement on some of those platforms, then we have to be able to put more resources into it. Um, so I think that's the kind of the key you know, be flexible, be adaptable and watch the trends because, you know, if something's emerging and you're not um, following it, you know, you don't want to get left behind. Right. So it's, it's being fluid and being able to pivot quick enough to follow the, follow those trends. Yes, absolutely. We've always said that the off-road industry, and I'm going to make some people mad here, is probably about five to seven years behind most most industries when it comes to to marketing, and I I don't know if it's because of the the age, like I said, of the people that are the ones with the disposable income, um, <laughs> the buyers. I can I can go back all the way back to when we first came to Texas to put on an event. My son was asked, well, what's the difference between West Coast wheeling and wheeling in Texas? And looking at the vehicles, the vehicles that we that we were running on the West Coast were much more advanced than the ones being run in Texas. And in, in, in the technology, you know, whether it was shock packages or types of suspension, as you know, you know, every every fab shop out there was building, you know, First, it was leaf springs, and then it went to, you know, quarter elliptical systems and reverse shackling and, 
you know, extended shackles and all sorts of different things. Everybody was experimenting to get, <laughs> you know, to try to get as much travel as possible. And those, those trends were, when they were popular in Texas, was, you know, five to seven years after it was possible, you know, popular in Arizona or California or Nevada. And, you know, it was, I find that to be that way in the marketing as well for companies. And uh, the other thing I find is that the off-road market, um, especially for fab shops, is that we have some great, great fabricators and engineers building things that nobody knows about. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. And and I do think a lot of it is because, you know, this industry is built from that kind of entrepreneurial spirit. You know, so many of these guys are, hey, I can build a bumper. Hey, I can build. And they have great products. Um, Then they don't have the distribution or, you know, I guess the the support for that, um, you know, to kind of bring it to market and, yeah, let people know about it. Um, So I do think we're we're slower to, um, yeah, adapt kind of the, the new kind of cutting edge marketing tactics, but I also think we're, we're slower to, um, you know, to even adapt some of the technologies that are used in different industries. Um, and then the trends vary by location, like you're mentioning, you know, you got the West Coast crowd, you got the Deep South, you got, you know, North, Northwest crowd, um, Northeast crowd, like it, it varies so much by what's popular there too. Um, you know, you've got, gosh, I mean, some of the, the fads with the um, nose, you know, nose down, nose down. Oh. What the Carolina, <laughs> Carolina squatters, they just, yeah. uh, what, just outlawed, right? I mean. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> that just seems dangerous. Yeah. If you can't look over your hood, you know, you <laughs> right. need to there rethink your designs. <laughs> I can only afford yeah. half a lift. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, I do think there's a lot of things happening in the industry that causes it. Um, but we are, you know, it doesn't make me mad to say that we are behind um, in some of those areas. Um, it just gives us, you know, more to, to grow into. And I also think by the time we adopt it or we utilize it, we kind of have maybe some of the learnings from the other industries, which can be an advantage. Too, right. So, Well, one of the things that I've tried to do is I was really late getting to Facebook. Um, my kids and my nephew and the young, you know, everybody that a lot younger than me started off on Facebook. And I guess it was a, it was more youth orientated. Now, the youth look at it and say, well, oh, Facebook's for old people. Yes. Because yeah, it's transitioned. No, it's so you think that most, I think Instagram was that way. And I think that you're going to find that, you know, Snapchat and and then uh, TikTok and whatever else comes up is going to be the same thing. It's it's first designed by these by the youth or people that are younger. And then it's... You know, by the time they move on to something else or they stick with it, it's their generation that, that uses it. But then the next, the older generation starts getting into it, especially when we find out it's it can be used as a marketing tool. Yeah, no. And honestly, like with Snapchat, that I, that's what I think is happening right now. Um, I know many parents that are getting on because, you know, they've got a teenager that's on it and they want to, you know, obviously see. 
but then that becomes the way they communicate. Like they are on that platform, you know, together and there's more communication happening there. Um, and so they want to be there because their children are or their grandchildren or whatever it is. Um, so I think you see that with Snapchat right now. Um, even just personally, I'm seeing that trend. Like there's a lot of people. I'm like, you have Snapchat? Yes, got on it because, you know, my 18 year old, you know, I communicate with her that way. And I'm like, wow, okay. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I do think you'll see a little bit of that, um, TikTok, probably the same way a lot of kids or teenagers are getting it. Um, parents want to be able to monitor. Um, so that crowd is getting there now, how is it effective to market to that crowd? You know, I think is, is, uh, still what kind of is to be seen. <laughs> right. So TikTok is, is basically the, the thing that's the hottest thing right now, um, with growth, it appears. Is there, are there other, is there anything else that, that you're looking at as a possibility down the road, you know, getting involved with? Is there, is there something else that, you know, I don't know, you have, you have kids that are younger. My kids are all older now. Our youngest is 30 or 28, 29. Um, is there th anything in there that, that you see that might be like, Raising, going to raise the tide? You know, our social, we actually have a social media manager now um, because of so, all the brands that we have, we really needed somebody focused on kind of those trends. Um, so he does a lot of looking on it. Um, I think there's a lot of noise out there. There isn't something that's kind of, um, oh, this is going to be the next or, you know, no clear winner right now as far as, okay, yeah, a lot of people are gravitating towards this or a lot of people are starting to use this new platform. Um, at least not that he shared recently. So I think there's, like I said, a few things kind of, oh yeah, that's, you know, you're seeing little movement, um, but nothing like big. So, you know, I don't know that there's anything that I would say, oh yeah, we're going to be there. We're going to, you know, support it with our brands, um, you know, right now. So there's a lot going on and going into 2022 um, that I'm sure we'll review. But right now, I don't think there's a clear, you know, answer for what's next. Okay. WhatsApp is something that was, I was told, oh, it's going to be the newest big thing. And then, because it was, it was way bigger internationally than it was here in the U.S., Right. And then it just seemed to kind of like die off. And I don't know if it's died off or it's just people haven't started using it here in the United States like they do other places. Um, do you guys have a presence over there? Um, internationally, some of our brands are really strong. You know, the Rugged Ridge brand, kind of our Onyx products, um, you know, have a good international presence. Um, and we actually, as Truck Hero, went to a recent um, event in UA. Um, and, you know, we do. We have a following. Um, there's there's a need for our brands over there. Um, but I, we have definitely not started using, you know, WhatsApp for, for that purpose. Um, honestly, the exposure for what WhatsApp is a lot of international, like I had family that was in Thailand and a uh, family in London. And honestly, like that was the easy way to communicate was, was using um, that. Um, so I definitely think internationally, a lot of people are already there and using it. Um, but yeah, I don't, you know, I don't think for us, that's, that's really a big thing big so big here right that's the impression i got so 
you personally, what do you think the future holds for Lee? Well, I'm excited. There are some big things going into 2022. Um, you know, this, this past year, I was able to attend Ultimate Adventure, which was awesome um, because I've sponsored it in different capacities at different companies I've been in. And we came in in a, in a big way with Truck Hero this year. And we sponsored um, Rugged Ridge was the presenting sponsor. We had Bushwhacker as the official fender flare. Infab is the official sidestep. So all my brands were really represented well there. Um, we had Real Truck as the official retailer. Um, you know, and I got to go on this event that I'd seen for so long, the coverage, and it has such a great following. Um, but it was funny finally getting to attend and see, like, there's so much you miss in the coverage. I was like, it doesn't tell half the story. Like, it's just such an experience. It truly is an ultimate adventure. Um, so Having kind of attended that and gone this year, I think it gave me the confidence to say I want to do more stuff like that um, in this industry. And, and, you know, I want to do stuff that stretches me and pushes the limits a little bit more. So I'm actually going to be competing in the Rebel Rally in 2022. Oh. So, uh, yeah, I already have a, a confirmed team number um, officially signed up and going to be competing Um so and and building a jeep for it so well i guess i'll be yeah. seeing you for eight days out in the uh the wilds yeah because so, we uh um, my no. wife and i staff that we're course officials and oh you, and you're doing it again for 22 oh yeah we've done it all six years so far and we will be going back as long as emily will have us Oh, well, that is great news. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm so excited. Um, they just, they put on a great event. Yeah, Emily and the team, um, we heard such positive things from different people that were partners um, in the past. And then also um, Nina Barlow, of course, that won the event this 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 year. Um, you know, she's been somebody we're working with on guiding um, and she's actually taking our team on the, tra- the Rubicon Trail this year. So that's the other big thing. It's planned for 2022 is we've got um, a Rubicon trip with uh, kind of good representation from all of our brands. Um, we're going to have Ian Johnson out there. So it's going to be a really cool deal. Um, and so, you know, I'm going to go out actually to a training too with Nina um, to kind of get more exposure and get ready for, for a Rebel Rally. So, yeah, if you're going to be just the driver, I think it's better to be, to, to know the whole the whole thing, um, yes. You know, with uh, you look at at the girls that have done really well in that event every year, and it's they they can drive, they can navigate, they understand the math and how to do the the plotting, and then the other thing is sand driving, which Nina yes. Nina's probably one of the best out there to teach you that when you get into those sand dunes, they can be really intimidating. Yeah, no, uh, we actually got to play in the sand a little bit at Moab this past year. We went kind of to the dunes area in Moab. Um, and, you know, it's just funny how a Jeep reacts in the sand. And yeah, if you're not used to it, um, you know, you need to kind of get familiar. Um, and obviously, yeah, that event, um, 
there's going to be so much of that, um, you know, and I want to make sure, you know, we're prepared. Yes. <laughs> if I'm going to do something, I want to do it well. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. But the thing and to I remember about like that, <laughs> the thing to remember about the rebel is that your first time there, make sure you're able to absorb it all and enjoy it. Yeah, I think no, that, absolutely. that there's too many first timers that show up and they, they'll, They'll say like, well, you know, I'm a extreme rock crawler or, you know, trail rider or I'm really good at this and I'm really good at that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a mathematician or whatever. And, you know, this is going to be my gig. And then they get out there and, you know, they're not used to setting up their own tents, um, tearing <laughs> it down in a hurry, um, sleep, yeah. you know, not getting enough sleep. Uh, you know, all the different things that, that happen in that event, you have so many new things, maybe not new things, but things that a lot of the competitors maybe haven't done a lot of because they've, they've always had their support system, which, yeah, no, exactly. And, and out there you don't have your support system. You know, I, I had a, a couple of people that I've interviewed that say, oh yeah, my wife wants to do that. You know, how do I, how do I get involved? And I'm like, you're not going to be because, <laughs> uh, you know, your wife or girlfriend or whoever you're, you're sponsoring is, is they're on their own. You know, yeah. we have the mechanics there. We have the course staff. We're going to make sure everybody is safe and everybody's going to continue to run, um, no matter what happens. But, you know, you're, you're not coming along to change a tire form. You're, there is no chase crew. <laughs> yeah, no. And that's why, like I said, I think I needed the confidence that I got from Ultimate Adventure being out there. You know, we did sleep in tents. Um, you know, one one day there was not facilities and the guys are like, there's the creek. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to be the girl and not do it. So at like 10 o'clock at night, because we got into camp late, I literally was setting up my tent in the dark. Um, but I was like, I'm going in the river. That's it's happening. It was pitch black. <laughs> yeah, literally, literally like the little headlamp. So yes, there was this river bathing, uh, that happened. Um, and then actually I get out, you know, I'm like, Oh, that really wasn't so bad. And then the guys were like, yeah. So, um, the water moccasins we saw earlier. Yeah. We, we failed to mention that. And I'm like, <gasps> so good thing they didn't say that before. Otherwise there would have been uh, no creek bathing happening. <laughs> well, you don't have but to no. worry about that. There's shower trailers on the, uh, on right? the rebel <laughs> and really right? a great cook. <laughs> yeah, I know the food thing was another thing. Um, so we had obviously ARD fridges and we had to like figure out, um, you know, like how to, you know, hey, we're camping for the next two days. You guys better stock up and what food and then only what you can cook at camp. And um, so that was an interesting experience, too. So I was like, oh, I'm roughing it more here than I will be at Rebels. <laughs> yes. Um, but I will have the same tent because I was so pleasantly surprised um, with I had a shift pod tent um, with oh, the yes. ease of setup and teardown. And you've probably seen those out there. Yes. Um, so great. I was like, it's rare that I talk about a product that I've been like, this was awesome. Um, it, I did. I thought it was so great. I actually practiced, you know, like, hey, setting it up and tearing it down in the dark with a headlamp in my yard before I went to UA. I was so scared. The guys were like, you got to be self-sufficient. You got to do your deal. And I'm like, oh, I will. 
<laughs> so I, I literally could set it up and tear it down like in five minutes. It was great. Good, because that's going to be good experience when you're when you're on the rebel. The, yes, the whole idea yes, is to is... get back in camp when there's sunlight, but that doesn't right? always happen. <laughs> no, same, same with UA. Like I said, we, we had breakage and there was stuff that happened and it was like, yeah, it's pitch black. So put that little headlamp on and do what you can do. <laughs> Excellent. So, Excellent. Yeah. Well, no, good. so I'm excited. So personally, um, you know, and I think professionally it'll be fun um, as well. You know, I, I've done a lot of things over the years. Um, you know, I was reading back not too long ago. Um, I was going through boxes and, and found um, Effort Industry Magazine. I don't know if you remember that, um, but they had done some features on High Riser and I was just 26 then, and, um, you know, they, they did a profile, uh, it was called Gender Bender, um, and just, you know, kind of what it is to be a woman in this industry and make it. Um, and, you know, it was exciting to kind of look back, gosh, that was a, a long time ago, um, and kind of, you know, where I am today and just where other women are in the industry and really pushing the boundaries. Um, I think it's a, an exciting time. I agree, and I'm so so happy to see that and that that there's so many opportunities for women to get involved in off-road there's a lot of women that enjoy off-roading even though you know it it's always been portrayed as a a man's sport or hobby um that's you know when we get in the the rock crawling and we have you know teenage girls that are competing now and they may be drive, you know, their dads may be spotting them or whatever. But the watching, watching those those women just expand their horizons and become so capable, conquering their fears, you know, that you know that you're providing them with a basis in the future that they can do they can do anything. Yeah, no. And, and it's just, it is, it's so important to recognize kind of the people that encourage that. Um, you know, there's a lot of strong women that have kind of broken down some of these boundaries, but I, yeah, props goes out to the men in this industry that help encourage that um, and promote that. Um, you know, I will say like on UA, you know, it is, it feels like, you know, the good old boys club, but everybody was so accepting and supportive and Hey, Lee, do this, or like, let's get you exposure to this. Um, and, you know, those people that encourage, they give you the confidence to, you know, hey, I can take on the next challenge. Let me try that myself. I want to do that. Um, you know, and it can be intimidating, um, but those people, you know, that encourage you to do, you know, anything, they matter too. Yes. <laughs> so. Absolutely. Well, Lee, I want to say thank you so much for for coming on board and discussing your life and your history and and you know your your background and where you're going with our listeners and I'm sure that we're going to get a lot of positive feedback on this interview. It was great. And uh, again, thank you so much and I I hope you all the success that you ever want in any endeavor that you choose to go after. Oh, thank you. No, I appreciate getting the opportunity to talk about it. And, you know, all you do to, to highlight, you know, not only the off-road industry, the sport, um, but also the great people that make it up. Um, because I think this industry 
is built so much on relationships and people. So I appreciate you highlighting that and you know giving everybody this great forum to, to talk about the history because it's important. It's what built us. <laughs> correct. Correct. All right. Well, thank you very much. And uh, I'll see you on the Rebel for sure if I don't see you probably. Well, we'll probably see each other at uh, Easter Jeep. Who knows? For sure. Yeah, no. Thanks. Okay. Thank you. If you enjoy these podcasts, please give us a rating, share some feedback with us via Facebook or Instagram, and share our link among your friends who might be like-minded. Well, that brings this episode to an end. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll catch you next week with Conversations with Big Rich. Thank you very much.